Hello guys, this is uh, Dr. Steve Hodges. I finally had time to record another podcast here. and I've recorded two podcasts, and but I was counting them as three because I was thinking I was going to able going to be able to use <clears throat> podcasts from another site um, and download the file, but that's not happened. So I'm going to call this podcast number three, but it will be the second podcast number three because um, I called the last one number three. Uh, but then we'll be on schedule and we'll go out from there. Um, I don't have an interview candidate set up for today. I'm actually interviewing Dr. Levitt this Friday. Today's the Tuesday the 11th. I'm interviewing him on the 14th. Um, and then <clears throat> I've been trying to get a hold of Dr. O'Regan, which will come soon. So I'm doing a long overdue uh, Q&A session. I put a question out on the website and had folks um, post questions, and they did. And um, we'll go through those. And they were excellent questions. They were amazing uh, and really good discussion topics. Number one was about laxatives. A mother had uh, questions about long-term laxative use. And the difference is, for example, and this is actually a good insight, we know that anorexics and elderly can have complications from laxatives. Um, anorexics will use them to lose weight, and elderly patients um, uh, can have some complications in the literature from laxative abuse. And what's the difference? Like, what's why can we use them a lot in kids and, and, and not in um, – have these complications. <clears throat> so n- number uh, one here is that we see a lot of side effects in um, the elderly just because they are um, in poor health uh, a lot of times. So if you had a child that was ill or not able to drink or eat normally, then we would not want to be on a high-dose laxative or enteral regimen. And most people uh, know this, um, but it's good to go over. Um, that if your child is ill or has diarrhea from some other cause, and obviously it's time to make take a break from the bowel program. <clears throat> and these um, elderly patients don't have the ability to um, um, recover from injury as well as um, younger, healthier patients do. So, in a healthy, you know, child at home that's uh, playing, eating, acting normally, then then these are fine. But that also brings up another good point about what if you were having active uh, weight loss. Now, we don't, we don't look to create uh, diarrhea in these children, and that can actually be problematic. Uh, if you get the bowels too loose, then you can have worsening encopresis or, or new onset encopresis. So with oral laxatives, we want to get a nice soft bowel movement, which would, would be considered normal, um, or a thin diameter, kind of mushy poop. Uh, we do not want chronic diarrhea. Um, and that would be t- too much. Um, and you could also um, pick that up if it was regular weight loss. You would not want regular weight loss while on uh, laxatives. Um, now, when you're doing enemas, the output can vary, um, but that's a quick kind of fluid in, fluid out, and doesn't affect the children so much in terms of uh, their fluid balance. So, uh, in general, if you're using laxatives uh, with the proper goals of uh, mushy, um, regular bowel movements, uh, not excessive uh, amounts of diarrhea, and um, they're in healthy children that are eating and have free access to food and water, then they're very safe. The other topic that brings up, though, is is the Cenobase laxatives. And, you know, we had been very high on um, <clears throat> enemas, obviously, and um, recently have come around with, with Senna based on our discussions with Dr. Collins and uh, specifically Dr. Dom. And I found a great paper from 2018 um, in the Journal of Pediatric Surgery, which goes over uh, – 
the safety of cyanobase laxatives um, for long-term use in children. And I published this on the, on the Facebook page, but it's worth going over. In this study, you know, they said all sorts of folks are using uh, laxatives in children. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, discussion about the safety or danger of chron- chronic use and what's the real reality of that. And what they did is they looked at um, children uh, and they looked at published articles on children with long-term use of uh, cyanobase laxatives. And when they looked at it, um, one of the complications they found most commonly reported was perineal blisters, and that would basically be a rash, you know, from <clears throat> diarrhea or um, a leakage. And um, this would lo- likely happen if you are on high dose. Um, um, Senna uh, or Exlax had nighttime accidents and, and, and diarrhea, and, th- and that makes sense. If you have diarrhea, you're going to get a, a skin rash, and that's something that we can manage, and obviously we don't want to have significant amounts of um, of diarrhea where you're having a, a skin irritation. So that skin irritation is, is probably the most common complication, and, and we don't often talk about it, but something to keep in mind. Um, they only had these uh, blisters or these rashes in children with nighttime um, accidents, So, and that's nighttime uh, poop accidents. So uh, again, something we can uh, protect against. When they looked at children, they also looked at mi- the minor side effects that were reported, which include abdominal cramping, uh, vomiting or diarrhea. Um, and th- this was a the dose of this uh, center that was given um, was 15 milligrams per day uh, versus uh, 17.5 milligrams per day. And there were really no long-term side effects found. Um, so what they, what they decided was that the side effects of senna in children are very rare um the dermatitis which is the rash is is rare and actually most people aren't even concerned about the most significant uh complications which um people consider about like uh, long-term use were not picked up and so their their conclusion was that uh, senna is safe treatment option for constipation in children and can be used um, on a regular basis so I think that was, you know, at least encouraging that we can use this. I don't think we use uh, stimulant laxatives willy-nilly, but I do think it adds another tool uh, in our armamentarium of ways to empty the bowel uh, completely. Um, another question related to X-lax was like, how do you taper <clears throat> with X-lax? For example, like if you have, um, you're on enemas daily and then you're on X-lax as well, and then you go to every other night enemas and you need X-lax on the off days to to get a bowel movement how, how do you taper do you do you stay on the X-lax do you um stop the X-lax and, and then taper off the enemas and, I, and this is I don't think it's a one solution fits all but I I would rather get off the stimulants um first and I, I do think that my ultimate goal was, you know, the colon to be responding to natural sensations and functioning in a normal way. So I think if you started out on enemas and X-lax um, and and you're tapering um, and you're accident-free, then that, that's the the main goal is to maintain um, accident-free state. Uh, and if you are on X-lax every day and that's what you've been on, then I think that's fine to continue. If you've only started the X-lax um, on the off days to produce a bowel movement, 
then I think I would rather get off the X-lax first and see if you could with potty sits or other oral osmotic laxatives induce a bowel movement on the off days. Because honestly, if you're not getting to the point where you're feeling the urge to poop on the off days, then you're probably not where you need to be to taper anyway. So in general, although every kid is different, I would like to be in de- pooping independent of X-lax before we stop the enemas. Um, and that's just my gut feeling of helping restore the the colon tone adequately before we get off uh, of the enemas completely. Then the big question everyone asks is how long does it take the bladder to normalize? So, and this is what I've been meaning to say for a while. I, I really struggle with how – I don't want people to be doing enemas and then not getting progress and getting frustrated with the whole procedure and I've done some more work, and we're going to talk about this with um, Dr. Levitt, about how hard it is to actually get empty sometimes. And so I think if you're not seeing monthly progress, <clears throat> then then we need to change things significantly, and we might need to you know, be aggressive. We might need to do hospital admission and clean-outs because if you're emptying your colon, the bladder should get better rapidly. And there have been a few people that have posted x-rays, and they've looked clean, and then they said, well, you know, and I'm like, oh, well, you're close to being dry, and then um, they don't get better or they get worse, and then I've, I've luckily had them re-x-ray, and all of a sudden they're full again. So it's not even so much that the poop is the issue again. It's it's the dilation of the rectum, and if you can get it looking empty but it doesn't shrink down, then you're not going to make the progress. And any literature that you look at this shows it's very difficult to get them empty, and sometimes you can't, and those kids need surgery. And I don't think I ever push for you know bowel surgery in the, like the most extreme case where a child could not get empty and their colon was really dilated. I have not pushed for bowel surgery. What I've done is just given up on the bowels and said, you know what, let's just attack the bladder with really aggressive measures such as um, Botox uh, and increasing doses. But to answer the question is if you fix the colon, then you should be seeing progress rapidly and again if we if we look at accents as uh, three types of silos one being the poop accents and then the daytime accents and then nighttime accents if you're not seeing progress in one of those silos each month so the first month is the is the poop accents the second month would be the daytime accents the third month would be the bedwetting although the bedwetting does tend to lag then there's no reason to just keep doing the same thing over again. I would get an x-ray or add medicines or add something different to your program to help um, progress proceed. Because what I'm trying to do is get this whole <clears throat> process kind of shrunk down. I mean, not unrealistically so, but as, as narrow as it can be. And, you know, if someone's doing enemas every day for a month and their x-ray looks no worse, no better than it did at the beginning of the month, then that's a kind of a month wasted and... It's better if we would just, you know, admit you to the hospital and get you cleaned out and then send you home on uh, something that we know keeps you clean. Um, and that gets back to the next question, which is what if the x-ray looks good but the bladder's still bad? And and, and, and I think that if the bla- x-ray was really – the colon was really shrunk down, the bladder would be doing fine. I mean there's some time frame where you need a, you need a, a few weeks maybe to, to catch up, but – if the x-ray looks really good and you're getting and you're still having bad incontinence over weeks, then you likely just had a, a lucky shot of the x-ray that showed it empty. But if you were to do another x-ray or a contrast enema, you'd see the colon was still dilated. 
And so those are the cases where if you can't make progress and you've tried bladder relaxing medicines such as um, the anticholinergic medicines or the newer um, beta agonists like Mirabegron, um, then it's time to do urodynamics and then uh, Botox. And again, Botox, the dosing for that, you know, we, we don't know for sure. Um, but we start low and then go up as needed. And then the time for the rectum to restore its tone. Let's say you had perfect enema and you emptied out the colon completely. Every kid is different in terms of how much time it takes for the colon to, to shrink back down to normal. Some kids – I've had some kids that look so impacted you wouldn't believe it, and they got completely empty and restored with just Miralax. And I've had others that just do not see progress at all, and every time you look at it, the x-ray looks just as bad. So I think you can have a goal of getting the colon empty, and uh, we're going to be talking with Dr. Levitt about that in detail in the next podcast but if you cannot get it empty or if you get it empty but it won't restore its tone then you need to move on to something else because um unless you're dealing with angopresis in which case you know we need to focus on the colon but if you do what you can for the colon get it empty try to shrink it down um, but if you're getting diminishing returns then we focus on the bladder how can you help spontaneous poops was the next question again there's two ways to do that. One is to fill the colon with enough of an osmotic laxative that they feel it. So again, children feel the urge to poop by um, the stretching of the rectum. So let's say I took one cap full of Miralax. I, you know, I may have some urgency to poop, but if I took a, a lot of it, then I would have more urgency. So you can slowly increase the dose of the osmotic laxative, whether it be magnesium or Miralax, until they feel the urge to poop. Uh, you can add potty sits to give them the opportunity to sit down and poop with um, with their feet on a stool so for good support and relaxation. You can work on physical therapy so they can learn to initiate bowel movements with relaxation. And then you can also do X-lax, which we've been um, having some success with. You have to either have the child feel the urge by filling up the colon with something soft and have them go, have them go on a schedule so they're kind of prompt themselves to go, or, or do it with a stimulant. Um how can you handle regressions if you think they're behavioral? That's tough, you know, because I I give kids a lot of credit where I don't I don't blame most accidents. I most accidents I blame on a, a physiologic causes. I don't I don't think most of them are behavioral. And I, I don't say it's impossible that a child would behaviorally cause this for whatever reason as a power struggle and I'm no psychologist. But I've just seen so many kids that, you know, or have been blamed for not going to the bathroom when they need to get their colon and bowel fixed, colon and bladder fixed, and all of a sudden have normal habits that I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, if you have a child that's, you know, has a really improved x-ray and you're having potty sits and you've done everything you can, um, including physical therapy, time voiding, bowel program, and they seem to be kind of – disengaged or you purposely catch them holding, I think that would be the, the main thing, then yes. And I, I do think in young kids where the holding has become kind of a, a a habit or it's just their first reflex, they don't even think about it. They just hold – right when they get the urge to poop, they, they get that holding behavior or they hide. Um, then that's something you can talk to with a therapist. Um, but again, you know, the bladder spasms – the holding for the pee is is because the bladder spasm comes on so rapidly, and they have no choice but to hold. So I think the better kind of worldview for this is that the child probably is, wants to be dry. They want to pee and poop normally, 
And if we give them the right tools, they will do it. Because the other, you know, in the other uh, point of view is it's just a slippery slope, and you end up blaming kids. I'm not saying a therapist don't have a, a role or talking about it isn't helpful, but I would put all your efforts towards um, the bowel and bladder management, not 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 the kid's psyche, if that makes sense. Next question is, can we make bedwetting worse with laxatives? Yes, you can. So <clears throat> the, the the bladder spasms from rectal dilation, um, and so anything that causes rectal dilation can make bladder accidents worse. So you could do that with a balloon, like on a test, or you could do it with laxatives. Like if I fill the kid up with Miralax then, and they didn't poop it out, then they would have worse accidents. And we have seen a lot of kids with MOP Plus with a large volume enemas where they get – what is considered progress? Um, you want to see, you want to look at accidents in three different groups: uh, poop accidents, daytime wetting, and nighttime accidents. You should see progress in one of those three silos every month. Um, if you don't, that is not progress. So if you have poop accidents and they're occurring with the same frequency as they did before you started at the end of the month, then that's no progress. But if you've seen some improvement in the poop accidents in that month, then you keep doing what you're doing. Um, but you don't want to see bedwetting resolve before the poop accidents have gotten better. That's not realistic. So keep – we've written about this in detail on the website, but make sure you follow realistic goals. You can't be dry at night until your day is perfectly normal, and you can't be usually dry during the day unless your pooping is normal. Some kids are different, but that's the general rule. So don't expect a miracles. Expect these things to get better in it. In a re and it makes sense, right? If you're so overloaded with poop that your poop is falling out of you, then you're most likely not going to be able to hold your bladder. And the last question, how do you determine the cause of constipation? If you think about most adults you know that are walking around, most of them don't have constipation issues. The vast majority of this is genetic but also personality-based and just the nature of being a child. You don't know any better. It hurts to poop. Your first reflex is to squeeze your sphincter. And that's – it's that simple. Um, it's, a, it's a learned behavior. There can be food allergies. There can be food issues. But think of, again, how many adults that you know that can't eat certain things because they can't poop. It's, it's not that common because they've matured through this. So I would never tell somebody not to look for food allergies or causes. But by far, if you're going to put your money on a, on, a, on a gambling table to bet the cause of this, it would be something that involves diet – genetics and personality that if they had um, uh, the right um, environment of those three things that you're going to get backed up and all you can do is diagnose it early and treat it aggressively that's the key diagnose it early and treat it aggressively i hope that um, these answers are helpful at all i'll try to edit this to make it a little bit um, better quality and then we'll look forward to interviewing dr levitt uh, at the end of the week thank you